listening to the podcast of Northside Assembly of God in Crowley, Louisiana. All right, I am ready to preach today. First Sunday of a brand new year. I've got a message that I'm excited about. I'm so excited I just spilled grape juice all over my, my phone and my table, and I'm ready to go. All right. Might need a napkin, but anyway, I'll be okay. Um, we're in Colossians. We're in Colossians. The title of my sermon today is Piercing the Clouds. And we're hovering over a passage that uh, we've been hovering over for, for two or three weeks now at the very end of Colossians 1. We're going to hover over it again. Uh, but we will push forward one verse. So we're going we're gonna to include the first verse of chapter 2 today as well. So I want us to read Colossians 1, verses 27 I've just been captivated by this passage over the last month as I've been preaching on it. It has just seized my attention. There's so much rich stuff here. So let's look at Colossians 1, verse 27, into chapter 2, verse 1. And, uh, and then we're going to pause and pray. Colossians 1. Paul writes this to the church there in Colossae. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles... The glorious riches, everybody say glorious riches, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So he's in you. He's in you. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's the goal. To this end, I strenuously Contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. The word powerfully there in the Greek, it's the word dunamis. It's where we eventually will get the word dynamite from. So Paul says Christ is in me. He's this dynamic, powerful force within me. And he says in chapter 2, verse 1, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Let's pause one more time. Let's pray, orient our hearts towards the Lord to receive from him today. Heavenly Father, we pause one more time and we invite you to speak to us in the powerful voice of the Holy Spirit. Lord, even through the frailty of a human communicator, let your voice be heard. Let your word penetrate our hearts and plant the seed of the kingdom deep within our hearts. And may it Take root and bear fruit in our lives for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So I want us to zero in on verse 29 for a moment. Verse 29, Paul says, to this end, I strenuously contend. Now, in the translation we looked at last week, the language is a little different. He says, I I toil, I struggle. In the Greek, the word there is agonizomai. It's where we get the word agony from. It connotes this intense exertion of force. Paul's saying, I'm agonizing. I strenuously contend. I'm working with every bit of energy that's on the inside of me to present you fully mature in Christ. That's what I want to do, present you fully mature in Christ, not just to get you to say a nice prayer. I want to see you abounding in the fruit of Christian character. I strenuously contend for that. But notice Paul says the only reason I'm able to do it is because Christ is in me exerting this powerful, dynamic force. 
This is what Paul calls the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. For, for Paul, this is not just an interesting Bible fact for us to memorize and store up in our brains. This is an experienced reality that he walked in, that he lived in. Christ, Christ, Paul says, he's on the inside of me, and he's working in me, molding and shaping me, and he's this dynamic force that's empowering me to exert force to accomplish God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Christ in you, the hope of glory. In other words, Christ is in me, moving me in the direction of glory, moving me in the direction of becoming more and more like Jesus. He's in me so that I might grow in my ability to think like Jesus, look like Jesus, love like Jesus, serve like Jesus, sacrifice for people like Jesus. And in that process, he's also going to use me to see other people transformed in the likeness of Christ. So that eventually the whole world, all of human society might be transformed in the likeness of Christ under the reign of Christ. This, Paul says, this is the goal. This is what God wants to do. Thoroughly Christianize our lives and through us, thoroughly Christianize the world. Amen? So there's this partnership here that's happening where Christ is at work. He's on the inside. He dwells in you. And he's working in you. But Paul also understands he doesn't do it all by himself. I've got a role to play. I've got to participate in this thing. We see the same concept in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Here's what Paul says to the Philippians. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, watch this, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, there's something for you to do. But the only reason they can do it, he says, it's because for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So he's telling these people, listen, God's working in your life. God's at work in you right now. And he's working in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. But he also says, you don't just sit, sit down and don't do anything and just watch it happen. There's something you've got to do in the process. And that's why he tells the Philippians, work out your own salvation. Now, notice he doesn't say work at your salvation because salvation is not something you and I work at. We don't save ourselves. We don't generate salvation within us. We don't give it to ourselves. We don't earn it. Salvation comes from God, and he gives it to us for free. You and I just simply receive it. How many of you can say amen? But what is salvation? And this is where some of us maybe need some correction on this. Salvation is not just simply a get out of hell for free card. Too many of us think of it that way, that, oh, I'm saved. Well, what do you mean by I'm saved? I'm saved because I'm not going to go to hell when I die. And we think that's what salvation is. Well, that's a, that's a tiny sliver of what salvation is. But from a New Testament perspective, salvation is so much bigger and grander than just a get out of hell for free card. Salvation is nothing less than participating in a life-giving relationship with God. 
It is participating in the fullness of the abundant life that only God can give. There is a measure of peace and joy that God can give you that you can't get anywhere else and nobody can take it from you. It's, it's the abundant life that only God can give. That's what salvation is. And folks, that doesn't just begin when you die. That begins right now. Everybody say right now. Right now, I, I experience eternal life. In other words, right now, I experience the kind of life that will go on for eternity. That's what eternal life is. It doesn't begin when you die. It begins now, right now. When I s- genuinely surrender my life to Jesus Christ, Scripture says that the very Spirit of God comes and lives on the inside of me. The Spirit of God dwells in you. If you've submitted to Jesus, God dwells in you in a very real way. And he's working at, on your life. Paul says it like this. If any man is in Christ, behold, he's a new creation. He's a new person. She's a new person. And Paul says it like this. The old has passed away. The old you is gone. The old you is dead. Past tense. This isn't something that will happen. It's something that has happened. The old you is dead and gone. And behold, all things have become new. Now, this is true. This is reality. Whether we think or feel it or not, this is what is true. But how many of you know that even though it is true, and even though, yes, I am a new person, and even though, yes, God dwells in me, that doesn't mean I still don't have battles to face. Because the old me, the old way of doing life, the old thought patterns still want to compete for control. And so this is why Paul tells the Philippian church, now work out your own salvation. In other words, this new life that God's given you, this new identity that God's given you, you got to let it work its way out in every extremity of your life, in the way you think, in the way you treat people, in the way you, you deal with your enemies, in the way you manage your money, in the way you manage your time. It needs to permeate every aspect of your life, not just deep within, but everything. And, by, and, and through that process now, God can use me to see the same thing happen in other people. See, this is what God's after. God is not just simply wanting and hoping to save souls for the afterlife. God wants to see you and I right now thoroughly permeated and transformed in the character of Christ so that the whole world would be transformed in the likeness of Christ. This is what God wants to see happen right now. But the only reason it can happen, Paul says, is because Christ is in you. You're not cranking this out on your own. Christ is in you, the hope of glory, the very one who spoke creation into existence, the very one who presently holds every molecule that exists in the palm of his hands, the very one who is in himself pure love, pure peace, pure joy lives in you. And he's working in you to bring healing to the scars and the wounds that are in your life, praise God. And he's working in you to tear down strongholds, these old deceptions and thought patterns that are rooted in your brain. He wants to root them out. And he wants to thoroughly transform your life. It's a lifelong, it's a lifelong journey. It's a lifelong process. But that's what he's doing. He's thoroughly transforming you into the likeness of Christ so that more and more as a church, we look like Jesus, love like Jesus, serve like Jesus. This is what God is doing. Christ is in you. And we participate, we cooperate with that process. This is why Jesus at one point, he says this. He says, whoever's thirsty, come to me and you'll never be thirsty again. Spiritually speaking, you'll never have to look for anything else 
Because what I'm going to put, because what's going to happen is I'm not just going to bless you. I'm not just going to change your situation. The very spirit of God's going to come and live on the inside of you. And Jesus describes it like this. He says, in your innermost beings, there will be rivers of living water springing out of you. He's using metaphor, obviously. But there will be living water. It's, it's a metaphor for the abundant life, this peace-filled, joy-filled life. It's going it's to live. It's going to reside on the very inside of you. Why? Because the very one who is never worried, is never anxious, who never tires, who never fatigues, he dwells in you. And that living water is, is in you, and it's flowing in your life. And our, our, jo- our job is just let it flow, man. Let it flow through your thoughts. Let it flow in your attitudes. Let it fl- flow in your relationships. And eventually, God wants to see that living water in us flow out and cover this whole desert world that we live in. Amen. Now, here's the thing. Some of you may be sitting here. You may be listening to this, watching this in the live stream or whatever. And you're like, Ryan, I agree with all of this. It all makes sense. I say yes to it. I say amen. I know this in my mind, and I agree with it. But if you're honest, you'd say, this just doesn't line up with my life right now. This is not how I feel. This is not what I'm experiencing right now. You'd say, Ryan, I'm a Christian. I've submitted to Jesus. But right now, it sure doesn't feel like Christ is in me exerting this powerful dynamic force. I don't feel like I have rivers of living water flowing out of me right now. You'd say, I actually feel kind of dead. I feel dry. I feel empty. I feel, I feel like I'm still thirsty. And so this doesn't line up with my experience, even though I agree with it in my brain. And you know what? To some degree, I think all of us here can relate to it. I don't know anybody who actually lives this way 24-7. I think we all at least have seasons or moments when it just doesn't feel like we got living water in us. It doesn't feel like this powerful dynamic force working on the inside of us. It just, it just doesn't line up with our experience. Not all the time. And the question I want to explore with you for the rest of the sermon is this. Why is that? Why is that the case? A couple months ago, Carrie and I were on a trip. We um, had a trip scheduled way back in May for our anniversary and then had to postpone that because of the situation in the world. And so we, we ended up rescheduling it for late November. And, uh, and I can't remember which particular flight it was, but I remember we had a flight where on the day of the flight, it was this nasty day, like overclass, overcast skies, the whole sky is like gray, nasty, cold, drizzly, dreary, gloomy, yicky. I'm trying to think of other adjectives. It was just terrible. It's awful. Y'all, y'all, y'all understand what I'm talking about. It's just a typical November winter day, just nastiness. And we're sitting in the plane, and the plane takes off, and, and we go up into the air, and we, we take off, and we ascend right into this thick, dark, ominous cloud, and we're in this nasty cloud, and and you can feel the turbulence, you know, but after a few moments, the plane continues to ascend, and eventually it ascends above the clouds, and now all of the clouds in the sky are underneath us, and we're just in the stratosphere somewhere, and you see the sun 
just in its beauty and its full glory, the sun, which we hadn't seen all day, it's just there. It's like, pow, it just hits you like a punch in the face, but a good punch in the face. And you can, you can even feel the warmth of the sun through the window. And, and the light from the sun just illuminates the plane all of a sudden. And it's glorious. And it's, it just did something in that moment. It just changed the environment of the plane. It was, it was nice. And, you know, it occurred, it occurred to me in that moment. I, I've always known this, obviously, but it just never hit me until then. That actually, the sun was always shining. The sun was doing what it's always doing. It's, it doesn't change. The problem was when we were on the ground, there was something blocking our experience of the sun. And it just hit me like that. And sometimes we don't realize that, that truth. And it's even reflected in our language. Like we'll have a, like one of those nasty, dreary, drizzly November days. And it's just the whole sky is white or gray, pale. And we don't see the sun. And, and, and we say things like this. We say, man, I sure wish the sun would come out. Where did the sun go? Can't wait to, come on, sunshine, come back. And we talk about it as if it's the sun that's the problem. But actually, the sun is never the problem. The sun is constant. It's actually the most constant physical force that affects our lives. It never changes. It never wavers. This thing's been burning for four and a half billion years. And, and there's, there's very slight fluctuations, you know, with sunspots and little flare-ups. But those, those little fluctuations are just very minuscule. This thing is this constant nuclear reaction in the space. And it's been burning and shining like that for ages. It's giant. They say you can fit 1.3 million Earths into the sun, which is astounding. And at its core, this thing burns with an intensity of 27 million degrees. And it's been burning for four and a half billion years. So the sun is constant. The sun is unwavering. The sun never changes. The problem is sometimes there are weather patterns. There are cloud banks that get in the way of us experiencing the sun. And it can affect us in different ways. Science tells us. It's a very real phenomenon. They, they call it seasonal affective disorder. Some of you may have heard of it. I think people up north probably experience this a little bit more. You know, when they, they'll, they'll, go, they'll go without the sun for like weeks at a time. It'll just be nasty overclass skies. And scientists say this actually has a, a, an effect on people's physically and, spirit, and, and emotionally, mentally. When they're not getting enough sunshine, when you don't get enough vitamin D, over a long period of time, it can make us gripey and gloomy and grumpy. And, and sometimes even drive people into deep despair because we're not getting enough sun. But the problem's not the sun. The sun hasn't changed. The problem is there are things in the way. There are clouds blocking our experience of the sun. This is what I believe to be true of our spiritual reality. Scripture teaches us when you genuinely submit the core of your being to Jesus Christ, not only does the Spirit of Christ come and live on the inside of you, the New Testament teaches that actually God's Spirit is now united with your spirit. And in Hebrews, it says that Christ is the radiance of God's glory. You know, the sun is the most radiant star in the sky. It's so radiant, you can't even stare at it for longer than a second or it'll start burning your eyes. And yet Jesus 
is the radiance of God's glory. Jesus shines with a brilliance that outshines the sun a trillion times over. And whereas the sun's been shining for four and a half billion years, Jesus has been shining and churning out this light since long before creation ever began. In in John 1, he's called the light of the world. He's the light of the world that enlightens every human being. And that intense light dwells on the inside of you. And folks, the light of God's sun never goes out. It's constant. It's unchanging. It's unwavering. Paul says nothing will ever separate you from the love of God. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. The light of his son is constant. The light of his love is constantly flowing into your life. And nothing will ever cause that light to flicker. Nothing will ever cause that light to dim or to go out. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's abiding on the inside of you. He lives on the inside of you. This is what is true. So if there are times, if there are seasons, if there are moments where we're not feeling this truth, if there are seasons in which we we don't seem to be experiencing the radiance of God's glory in the face of Christ, if we go through these times where we're just, just, we don't feel like we have this light or this living water on the inside of us, the problem is not the sun. The sun is unchanging. The problem is there are things in the way blocking our experience of the sun. There are clouds that have formed in our hearts and minds. And let's face it, we live in a cloudy world, don't we? I'm talking spiritually here. We live in a cloudy world. We live in a world that's been very, very deeply impacted by spiritual forces of evil, what the Bible calls powers and principalities demonic powers that have perverted the world, perverted creation itself and human society. And as a result of that, it's like there's a a spiritual cloud of deception that hangs over the entire world and it pollutes the atmosphere that we breathe. I'm talking spiritually here. It's like this spiritual smog. You know what smog is? You You ever been to like a major city like Los Angeles or New York and you just look out and you see this this haze, this fog that just sits over the city and it doesn't go away. It's not like morning fog that dissipates. It just stays there. And there's this spiritual smog that sits over our entire culture and we constantly breathe it in and it affects us. And the thing is, we often don't even notice it's there. It just becomes part of our normal and we get acclimated to it. Some of this spiritual smog is, is cultural in nature. Here in America, the, the, we breathe in the smog of materialism and greed and self-centeredness. That, that, that is a smog that permeates everything. Everywhere we look, everything we watch, all the advertisements that we see appeals to this materialistic greed that's fueled by these demonic powers. And it's a pollution that we breathe in that affects the way we experience God. America, which is the wealthiest nation in the world, we, 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 Americans spend, you realize Americans spend 98% of their income on themselves. And those Americans who, who profess to be Christians are almost no different. We, Amer- American Christians spend 97% of our income on ourselves, generally speaking. 
They're, they're self-defining Christians who don't even give to their churches, don't give to ministries, don't give to charities, statistically. It's the cultural smog of greed, materialism, self-centeredness that we've become acclimated to. It's just become part of who we are, and we don't notice it. We don't see it. There's the cultural smog of, of rampant sexuality and sensuality that has thoroughly permeated the atmosphere of our culture. Virtually every television show you watch, every advertisement, it, it's ingrained into our fashion. Everything, it's been affected. The, the normalization of violence, the hostilities, the us versus them tribalistic mentality that people are ingrained in. All of this is part of the cultural smog, the, the haze, the cloud that blocks our experience of the radiance of God's glory. There are other ways that we get clouds too. You know, sometimes when a, when a person hurts you, when a person wounds you, and you refuse to release it to God, and you just, you just let it fester in your heart and in your mind, and it, and it produces bitterness, and it produces resentment, and you refuse to give it to God and forgive. And it creates clouds in our hearts and minds. When we believe and internalize lies about ourselves or other people or lies about God, it creates clouds in our hearts and minds. When we disobey God, when God tells us to do something and we reject it, like God says, listen, it's time to walk away from this addiction. It's time to get the alcohol out of your house. It's going to ruin your life. It's time to stop sleeping around. Or maybe he, he, might, he might call you to sacrifice more of your income. And when you resist and say no, it, it forms clouds in your heart and mind. And the more we persist in disobedience, the thicker those clouds get. And it gets to the point where it's, it's very near impossible for us to experience the reality of God in our lives. We just become hardened to God and the worst case is when we don't even care. And so what's got to happen is we've got to have these weather patterns change. We've got we to recognize some of these clouds for what they are, and we've got to get rid of these clouds. And Paul tells us how to do that later in Colossians. I'm sure it's a passage we'll revisit a little bit later. But let's look at Colossians chapter 3, the first three verses. And, and I'm almost done here. Just hang with me. We're going to participate in communion together. I'm going to need a whole new communion packet. Man, this thing. All right, Colossians 1, verse 1. Thank you. Thank you, sweetheart. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Watch this. Set your hearts. Set your hearts on things above, things above the clouds where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things in this dreary, miserable, cold, cloudy November world. Verse 3, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, 
and greed, which is idolatry. So Paul's saying this. He's telling us, listen, there's an airplane that you can board that's going to take you above the clouds into the light of the sun. There's a plane that we can get on, and it has to do with three things. What we set our minds on, what we set our hearts on, and how we consider things in our lives. Paul says when you genuinely submit to Jesus Christ, the old self is now dead. That petty self, that greedy self, that lustful self, that angry temperamental self is dead. Everybody say dead. It's dead, and that's a fact. Now, you probably don't always feel that way. You probably don't always think that way, but that's only because of the clouds. If there's anything in our minds and hearts that doesn't agree with what God has spoken in our lives, it's pollution, it's smog, it's spiritual deception that we're breathing in. And so what we got to do is we got to change those weather patterns. we gotta, we got to get above the clouds. And Paul says, here's how you do that. He says, set your mind on things above. Set your heart on things above. Your heart and your mind always go together. Whatever you constantly think about defines who you are on the inside, the very will that you have on the inside. And your will also affects what you think about. There's an interplay there. They're intricately connected. And Paul says, set your mind, set your heart on things above the clouds. He doesn't use the cloud part. I put that in there. But set your mind. The word in the, in the Greek where he says set your heart, it's the word zadio. And it has to do with orientation, direction. And when he says set your mind, it, it's the word phroneo, which means resolve. Resolve. Set your direction. Orient your mind and your heart on things above. Let me give it to you in this image, and then we're going to close. At my house, we have an upstairs and we have a downstairs, and there's a thermostat on the upstairs and the downstairs. We have two thermostats. Now, my wife Carrie and I, we've been married for nearly 16 years. It'll be 16 years in May. I say nearly, but we still got a few months to go. Um, but Carrie and I, we have a lot of things in common. One of the things we don't have in common, though, is a common sense and understanding of temperature and hot and cold and what is hot and what is cold. We tend to struggle with that. It, it causes a lot of consternation in our marriage. And especially at nighttime, you know, it'll be nighttime, time to go to bed. And, and see, I'm the kind of person, I got to have it a little bit, I got to have it cool. I got to have it, I got to have a little bit of cool air flowing and, and even like air blowing in my face. I got to have something blowing in my face or I can't sleep. I don't know what it is. I'm spoiled, but I got to have it cool in the room. And, and, and what Carrie will do is she'll get all bundled up in the bed like an Eskimo, dressed like an Eskimo. She'll have like six or seven blankets. There's a heating pad un uh, under the, uh, the mattress cover, and she'll have that thing cranked up. And I'll be on the other side of the bed sweating. And I'll get up, and I'll look at the thermostat, and I'll say, Carrie, it is 76 degrees in this house. Uh, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit. But, but we just don't agree on what is hot and what is cold. And my philosophy is, you know, you can always bundle up. If it's a little cold, you can always bundle up, throw another blanket on there. But if it's too hot, what are you going to do? So, yeah, I'm preaching the gospel now, Ricky, man. Amen. But the big thing is who gets to the thermostat last before they go to bed. That's really the, the, where the battle's won or lost. 
It's the thermostat. Because you see, a thermostat is different than a thermometer. A thermometer is just going to tell you what the temperature is, and that's all it can do. A thermostat says, no, I'm not going to just tell you what the ter- temperature is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell the temperature what to do. I'm going to set the atmosphere of this room. I'm going to set the temperature of this room. And you put that thermostat on whatever you want, and eventually the whole room conforms to what the thermostat says. Listen, your mind is the thermostat of your life. Whatever dictates and controls your mind, whatever your mind is going to dwell on, it's going to set the whole atmosphere, the whole culture of your life. Not the circumstances you deal with, because you can go through all kinds of circumstances and still have a sound mind that's still at peace. Whatever you dwell on, that's, that's the thermostat. What, and, and nobody else can touch the thermostat. Nobody else can control it. Only you can do that. Even God does not control your thermostat. And I can't control your thermostat. Jared Morgan cannot control your thermostat. You set your mind. Paul says you need to set your mind on things above. Set your heart on things above. If you're constantly dwelling on angry, bitter, resentful thoughts, you're going to become a nasty, bitter, resentful person. If you constantly dwell on self-centered thoughts, you're going to be a very self-centered person. But on the other hand, if you constantly think about peaceful things, if, you, if, you, if, you're, if your mind is others-oriented, you're going to be a peaceful, others-oriented person. Whatever your mind fixates upon, resolves upon, orients, your, your whole life's going to go in that direction. So we've got to set our minds on things above. How do you do that? There are a couple quick things. First of all, prayerful reflection. I like to do this often at the end of the day. And I sit back and I ask the Holy Spirit something like this. Maybe I don't, I don't put it like this, but for the purpose of the message, I'll phrase it this way. Holy Spirit, what is the temperature of my life right now? What's the temperature? I look over the last day. I look over the last two days. What emotions were dominating my life? What conversations stick out? What moments in these last two days stick out? And why do they stick out? And so I ask the Holy Spirit, what's the temperature And then I start asking, okay, now that I see the temperature, now what's the thermostat set on? What have I been thinking about? What are the thought patterns I've been choosing to engage in? And then the second thing is we take the word of God. We take the truth of God and we pour it into our brains. Man, that's a weird weird way of saying it. But we, we fill our minds up with the truth of God's word. We take scriptures, verses, passages, things that the Holy Spirit speaks to us, and we memorize it, we keep it with us, we reflect on it quietly, we carry it with us throughout the day, and we start setting our minds on what we're going to think about. Nobody else can do that for you. All I can do is tell you to do it. Here's the thermostat, or here's how you adjust the thermostat. Just the other day, I've been trying to, um, I've been trying to be more intentional about working with people one-on-one and so for the last few months, I've been very intentionally setting my weekly agenda to where I have at least three or four one-on-one informal meetings with people just, just to encourage them, just to hear how things are going. And, and they may not realize I'm discipling them, but that's what I'm doing. I'm discipling them. And, um, and there's a, a conversation I had a, a while back. I, I was sitting down with someone. They were telling me about a, a situation in their life where they felt like, uh, they were being treated unfairly, that there was somebody in their life who was just not, 
treating them the right way, that was not uh, uh, acting justly towards them, and they were very angry about it. They were very upset about it, very disturbed about it. And see, my role as a pastor in that situation is not to try and fix it or uh, affirm their, their feelings or anything like that. My role is to connect them to Jesus. And I said, here's what I want you to do. I can't speak to your situation, but here's what I can do. I want to give you a passage, and I want you to memorize it, and I want you to carry it with you for the next few days. I want you to repeat it over and over and let it begin to fill your thoughts. And here's the passage I gave this person, 1 Peter 2, verses 21 through 23. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. See, that's a passage. If you feel like you're not being treated fairly, commit that one to memory. And enjoin yourself to Christ's experience because Christ knows how it feels to be treated unjustly. And when you're treated unjustly, you have an opportunity now to experience Christ on a deep, profound level. And see, this is how we set the temperature. Rather than becoming a hateful, resentful, bitter person towards that person, now we begin to put on the mind of Christ. And this is how it happens. And the more we can do this, folks, as we begin to let the Word of God penetrate our hearts and minds, these clouds begin to dissipate, and it releases the light of God's glory into our life, and we begin to experience Him on a deeper level. So that's what we need to do. Rebuke those clouds in Jesus' name. And let's take a plane ride with Jesus. Amen? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To learn more about Northside Assembly of God, check out our website at www.northsidecrowley.com.